No, go ahead. Yeah, no, Trace kicks it off with the introductions, and then we'll start in. Okay. Now in partnership with the new Westport Library and Quick Center for the Arts and iTunes, it's Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast with me, Trace Burroughs. And me, Makes Burroughs, and uh, we have a, uh, a filmmaker as our guest today and uh, with a really fascinating backstory and front story. And uh, it's uh, uh, Robert Stephen Williams, who's uh, just, uh, I don't know if you've just completed it, but it's been what seven years in the making maybe seven Seven years years in the making yeah so it's uh, Gatsby in Connecticut the untold story and why don't we just immediately get the plugs in it where people can see it and download it and watch it great oh hi Migs and Trace nice to uh be on your show thanks for having us um so it's available on Amazon iTunes Fandango Right now, only in the U.S. and uh, and Canada, but they're looking at worldwide distribution, and fingers crossed, you know, a little later on, hopefully they can do a deal with one of these streamers, either Netflix or Hulu, but it starts off. Also, it's on all the major cable um, uh, carriers, so if you check your new this week, it should be available there. Who's your distributor? Uh, it's called Vision Films. They're uh, a big indie film distributor out of L.A., uh-huh. Um, and uh, they really loved the film. And, uh, you know, it was a very strange year because we thought 2020 was going to be the year that we did film festivals. And we had a number of them lined up. Uh, but, you know, my timing historically has <laughs> always been sort of just perfect. And, uh, you know, we launched right directly into the pandemic. And, of course, every theater is shut. So uh, film festivals have been out. Uh, but through, you know, uh, an unlikely set of circumstances, we had a bunch of publicity for our first festival, which was the Garden State Film Festival on Asbury Park, which is, was a really cool festival. And from that publicity, uh, I ended up landing an agent, and then uh, he got me a, a bunch of distribution deals, and we picked one that we thought believed in it the best, and could move quickly. We wanted to get out before the election. Uh, And I always thought that people were going to end up staying at home a lot longer than when this thing first hit back in March, April. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it looks like it's true. And we, you know, probably be here till probably next summer. No, it's a really good, I mean, the length of everything, it's just, I think it's a really, you know, not that it wouldn't be nice in theaters, but it's it's a very kind of nice, cozy uh, film to watch at home. Uh, well, the premise, we didn't even talk about what the premise is, basically. And I, I saw, you, you I, I may have seen one of your first presentations seven years ago at the Historical Society, right? It was like you a slideshow. I remember that. Yeah, it was Sue Gold, who was running the uh, Westport Historical Society. Yeah. She was doing a great job there, and she invited us in to do a little presentation and clips. And I remember you were there. And, uh, and you gave me some really good encouragement, saying, oh, this looks promising. And, and you... Yeah, and you you paid me back in a way you probably don't realize, but my photograph is in your movie. Not not a photograph of me, but a photograph I took. Oh, uh, which one's that? Of uh, uh, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Ah, okay, all right, yeah. Um, now there's a couple there. The older one. The, uh, what- no, the new one. No, the new one. Um, you probably I looked for. Uh, 
you know, whatever, uh, attribution, and it came from the Newman family, even though yes. it's yeah. technically my copyrighted image, but oh, I'm really... If I had known, in fact, you know what? I will put that on our Facebook page to let people know. Oh, so thanks. shoot me exactly which one, because I'm all for giving people credit. Yeah, I gave Clay and Kurt Soderlin and, and Paul and Joanne, because there is about 15 seconds of the Newmans there. Because right. a lot of people don't know Westport, right? I mean, even people that live in Westport didn't know Westport. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, was... <laughs> Which is, was the impetus of actually me making this film. It was just going to be a short film for the Westport Historical Society so that future Westporters would not forget that the Fitzgeralds lived there. Uh, and that's all it was going to be. But as we got into it, and I should mention Deej Webb, who was part of the team that helped. He's a local histor historian here who had been giving talks about a 1996 New Yorker article that Barbara Probe Solomon had written, which really inspired and formed the basis of this film. And as we got into the, the nitty gritty of it, it just it was like an onion being unpeeled and we just started finding all these new things. And it turns out the Fitzgerald's time in Westport, even though it's only five months, is significant for many reasons, mostly because it's the time when they just got married, so it was their honeymoon months. He had just been an instant success with the debut of his first novel, This Side of Paradise. Uh, it's the time, 1920, where women are just getting the right to vote, prohibition, and Westport was notorious as a free-flowing area for booze because it really was still just forming as a town. They had orgies on Campo Beach in Westport. <laughs> Think of that. Not getting nude bathing. I'm talking headlines, orgies at Campo you know, Beach. I, don't, I was curious if Trace, because we never discussed it until uh, recently. I don't know if Trace was even, were you aware of the Gatsby connection before or the- I, know, I just heard rumors, like all this, they have that Gatsby party at Pearls at Longshore every year. And I was going like, Oh, that's right. It, was that because Gatsby lived at the Longshore building? I mean, I got some clarification watching your movie. And it was like, I guess he did, but they wouldn't have that party here. So that's all I knew about all that. Well, Pearl got wind of our I film. Meant, I meant not Gatsby, but yeah. the, uh, the writer. Yeah. yeah, well, Pearl got wind of our film. Yeah. And, uh, and they realized, and it's funny, the guy, Rory, I forget his last name, who Taggart. actually runs the Longshore Inn. Well, he used to, Rory Taggart, yeah. Yes, he had the Longshore um, uh, license because it's owned by the town. Uh, and I told him like six years ago, Rory, you're sitting on a gold mine. When this film comes out, people are going to want to come because this is the original mansion where the original seed for Jay Gatsby comes from. Because the Fitzgeralds lived in the house, 244 South Campo. And if you look at it on a map, you'll see its backyard butts right up to Longshore, which at that time in 1920 was home to Frederick E. Lewis. And that was a 175-acre private estate on the Long Island Sound. And from the Fitzgeralds' little cottage at 244 South Campo, from the bedroom, you could look out because the trees weren't there then, and you could see across the water to a dock that literally had a green light. So I mean, that, so, but in, that? in the book, that cottage where the Fitzgeralds lived turned out was, became the Nick Carraway uh, cottage, right? 
Exactly, Max. Exactly. Is that like in the, the compound of Longshore, or is that like right on South Campo before you get to the entrance or after the exit? It's just before the entrance. No. Oh. And when you see our film, there are references to these posterns, which are in uh, Gatsby. Uh, and literally, that Nick Haraway walked through the posterns. And those posterns that are the, at the entrance to Longshore today are the exact posterns from the, that were there in 1920. Now, this Lewis guy, this is a name, I mean, Trace and I grew up here and, you know, we've been submerged in, you know, nostalgia and memorabilia and all that, and never heard this Lewis, of this Lewis guy. And he obviously was incredibly wealthy, had these wild parties, brought in a circus from New York. Harry Houdini was there at his party. Who, how did he, who was he? How did he make his money? Well, yeah. this is so, he inherited it like any oh. good young man <laughs> back in the day, but he inherited hundreds of millions of dollars, which today would be translated into like an insane amount. And he was a savvy businessman uh, and he was a rancher. He actually introduced the Arabian horse uh, to the United States. Uh, but when Deej and I started this, um, there wasn't a speck of evidence at all to Lewis, but there was one photograph in a 19, it was a tribute to the 1960 town purchase of Longshore, which was celebrating the 50th anniversary of the town purchasing that land. Because if you're not from Westport, it's an incredible municipal golf course, swimming, mm. kayaking. It's, you know, on Paramount, you know, compared to most towns right on the sound, and it's cost effective. It's probably the best thing the town ever did right. buying that piece of land. But but there was a lot of we lived here then. There was a lot of turmoil about that. They they <laughs> fought over that. That was the most oh the most controversial thing purchase Westport ever did. People saying it was. I think they only cost the town less than a million dollars. When you think of what it's worth, yeah, you know, no, insane. No, no, insane. So yeah, back back in the day, Frederick E. Lewis owned it. Hmm. And it's interesting that, you know, the Bedfords, that name is known all over town. It's on buildings from the YMCA to the, the, the middle school. You know, their family was generous to the town. There's a foundation. Uh, you know, to this day, the Bedford name is stalwart and part and parcel with the town of Westport. Frederick E. Lewis, nobody knows anything about him. And yet in 1920, when we went to the Historical Society and looked at the tax rolls to see who was paying what money to the town of Westport, the number one taxpayer in the town was Frederick E. Lewis. Bedford, incidentally, was number two. Amazing. So that just goes to show you. Well, maybe he just, Lewis wasn't as generous with his money. I mean, there's no buildings named after him or he- Absolutely, he it was almost as if uh, he hired a private detective to scrub his name <laughs> yeah. and legacy from the town because there isn't a single shred of anything. And it took Deej and I years to drum up anything on this guy. Um, and the ir irony is that we tracked down a, his grandson who lived in Burlington, Vermont. And right. we went up there and spent some time there. And he uncovered out of, he pulled out of a cupboard just as we were leaving, 
Oh, one more thing, just like Columbo. <laughs> one more thing. Do you think this would be of any use? And it was a photo album that had dust this thick on it, but it had written across the front of it, Longshore Farms. Oh, my God. And inside were all these photos that nobody here had ever seen. And you'll see them all in our film. Yeah. And we digitally copied them, obviously, and we did it, you know, donated them to the Historical Society for Future Use. And it really gives you a sense of what Longshore looked like and how Fitz, the Fitzgeralds may have picked up the inspiration from Gatsby through the way this guy was living next door to them. Sure. I loved a lot of those Westport photos. Did I see one? Where Campo Beach, like there was a trolley car that went down that yes. road? There was a trolley that went down from, you know, it went from the center of town into uh, to Campo Beach. Yeah. Uh, and actually near where the Fitzgeralds lived, there was a little station turnaround uh, thing there. And I think if you dig around, you will find remnants of tracks. That's wow. amazing. Is that, I mean, I have to, this is kind of a lascivious side, but, you know, so... <laughs> Lewis had these, you know, orgies in Westport and he had crazy things going on. And, and yet Zelda Fitzgerald, according to the film, was banned for, for inappropriate behavior. What could be inappropriate after all the stuff that was going on at his place? What did she do? Was she just... Uh, I think she, she was in... Now, this is according to Jerry Caliglia, uh, who uh, was a, <laughs> you know, a very well-respected professor at, at Staples High who taught English and taught Barber's article... And he claims that um, his last name's Caligula. Zelda, I just have yeah, that's what I was laughing about. His last name is Caligula. Caligula. No, I can't. I'm not pronouncing it right. Okay. You, know, you must have taken a class from him. He's been there forever. Okay. Caliglian? Is that uh, how you pronounce it? Well, maybe, that? maybe. I'm, I'm just, so sorry for butchering your last name. No, I just because Caligula, Caligula would yeah, fit no, perfectly. Yeah, no, it's not Caligula. Yeah, okay. I think it's Caligulan. I'm not 100 percent sure. <laughs> That's all right. Sorry about that. But you know, well loved and regarded yeah. at Staples, taught there for many years. Um, so he says that at one Lewis party, Zelda got really drunk, and I guess she mouthed off to some of the guests, and oh. they said, "That's it." Or, you're, or I thought maybe. She yes. put her mouth on some of the guys. Yeah, well, uh, you know, who knows what went on back then. Um, but I think he still allowed her to skinny dip at the, at the beach. Now, Hendricks Point, which a lot of people are not familiar with, is actually where the driving range is. And back then, and if you, we backed this up, we were able to, uh, we looked at 1934 aerial photography that the state of Connecticut did they, they took a photo of every inch of the state in 1934. So we were able to see what the beach looked like back then. Oh. And it was a lovely beach. Uh, at some point, I guess it became a landfill. And then from there, it ended up becoming uh, the driving range. So right now you look at it and you say, well, how could that have been a great beach? Well, at that time, it was fabulous. It's it's really a fascinating story. So the, the I don't know if we even still got the premise across is that yeah that this is um, you know that the, the, the presumption that this was written about Great Neck Long Island uh, it really makes much more sense and historically historic sense that it took place in Westport because of all the geographic configurations of the buildings and the and the and the things that Fitzgerald. Have you gotten wrote. any flack from people yeah. from Great Neck saying like, "How dare you?" you know? Yeah. What's oh, yeah, yeah? What's this? Yeah. What's Great Neck? What's their position now? Well, um, some of our um, 
some of our research came out a few years ago and we got a big uh, piece in the New York Times on that. And um, the Great Neck people, the Newsday, actually Steve Israel is a former congressman of Long Island, wrote an opinion piece in Newsday saying, how dare these guys from Connecticut steal <laughs> our cultural legacy? And then he went on to say, we've got Billy Joel, but you know, like, oh, yeah. you're putting Billy Joel and F. Scott Fitzgerald. And look, I love Billy Joel. Yeah, yeah. Wrong. So all that to say is they weren't too happy. Uh, but we did actually go out to, to Great Neck. We presented there uh, and we actually invited Steve to come out and debate us, but he didn't take us up on that. But, you know, the bottom line is it's fiction. And so if you know yeah. any, you know, if a writer takes the liberty to draw right. from all sorts of things. Yeah. And we never said that, and neither did Barbara, that that this that Great Neck didn't influence the Great Gatsby. It did. What we're saying is the germ, the seed of right. inspiration started here in nineteen twenty. Uh, and and though and that he was drawing on upon this, because really he only wrote a few chapters in Great Neck on the Gatsby. He was actually in the in France for writing most of it. And, mm. you know, he was drinking a lot back then. And and if you think about it, to be fair, even if he wasn't, the, it's like a parallel universe, right? If you're on the south or north side of the Long Island Sound, whether you're in Great Neck or Westport, you're pretty much equidistance on a train into Manhattan. So whether you're coming in to Penn Central from Long Island or from Grand Central from Westport, it's pretty easy to kind of like draw and blend and confuse. Sure. And that's why when you read Great Gatsby, there are references to coming in from Long Island, but going from the station right to the Yale Club, uh, you know, which is right next door to Grand Central, uh, not Penn Station. And it's, just, you know, it's, it would be easy to mix that up if you were uh, in France drinking a lot <laughs> while, while you're writing. And, so, I, and that's what writers do. They're, they're, they have the freedom to draw what they want. And all we were trying to do, and I think what Barbara was trying to do, was acknowledge and reclaim Westport's right to have some of Fitzgerald's uh, legacy. And the scholars all had said Westport had nothing to do with Gatsby. In fact, it was so insignificant it really is just a footnote in Fitzgerald's history. And I think when you watch the film, you realize that, yes, Gatsby's the hook and everybody wants to talk Gatsby. But I think, and rightly, uh, the New Yorker who just reviewed the film picked up, it's much more than that because it really integrates uh, The Beautiful and Dam, which is Scott's second novel, which a lot of Westport's in. I don't know if you guys have read Beautiful and Dam. I had never read it until I started this this uh, documentary. It's a so much of it's in Westport. It's unbelievable, and it's about this young couple who just gets married. Well, hey, it's a young couple that just gets married and ends up in Westport. That sounds sort of familiar, yeah. right? <laughs> How did you get hooked on this whole thing? What what inspired like oh a light bulb went off? You know, I got uh, well. I've written this novel in 2013, and I had decided that one so-called clever way to market the novel since. The setting was Westport, but I called it Putnam's Landing. And that was inspired by a Max Schulman 
Uh, yeah. He was a Westport writer. He wrote a story called Rally Around the Flag Boys. They made it into a film. Yeah. Paul Newman and, and Joanne Woodward. That's how they ended up in Westport. Right, yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's not the best film, but it's a really interesting book, and it's a great time capsule into Westport. And so I called my town and my, and my novel, My Year as a Clown, uh, Putnam's Landing. And I thought, well, let me celebrate the town's cultural legacy. And let's bring Max's son, Bud, who came up and read from the book. Uh, and I had uh, Jane Green, who's a New York Times uh, best-selling author, lives in Westport. Uh, Leonard Fisher, who's a, a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, illustrator, he talked. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, you couldn't do like a cultural roundtable at the Historical Society without talking Fitzgerald. And Sue thought that this guy, Richard Deeds Webb, who was doing talks around the county based on Barber's article, should join the roundtable. So he did. I had never known him. Oh. And he and I just hit it off like we'd been friends forever. Uh, and I called him up after the roundtable and said, you know, I can't believe how many people have not a clue that Rod Serling lived in Westport or that Catcher in the Rye was finished in Westport or that Lucy spent an entire season in Westport. <laughs> so we should do a short film on the Fitzgeralds and let's, uh, you know, do it for the Historical Society. And he said, I would love to do that. And that's how it started. Who knew it was going to take seven years or that it would, you know, the New Yorker would end up reviewing it. So uh, here we are. So, you know, yeah. we're, we're thrilled. Uh, and we hope that, uh, you know, when Barber's article came out in 96, it was pretty much ignored by the scholars. But shame on Westport. It was pretty much ignored by the town, too. And mm. uh, we, Deej and I went out on Main Street. Uh, this is probably five years ago before a lot of the press kicked in on what we were doing. And we spent four hours on the street interviewing, asking if uh, anybody had uh, know, knew that the Fitzgeralds lived in town. And it took us three hours to get one person to say, <laughs> oh yeah, I knew that. It was like unbelievable. Now I think it's a lot, the awareness has been heightened. So, you know, so maybe that's, if that's the contribution we made to the town, great. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, we were only, well, I think Dan Wogue or somebody, when the house was sold or bought or sold uh, several years ago to a new, then it became a little more public. But anyway, it's interesting, you read the, the article in The New Yorker by Barbara, uh, and then this, this review came out. I'll just read the last short sentence because it's sort of capsulized. So this is The New Yorker's review of your movie. In its hearty and individualistic vigor, Gatsby in Connecticut is a valuable work of literary criticism in cinematic form. I mean, that's pretty high praise, but it's a whole, the whole article is, is an excellent review. Um, the, yeah, you have one, there's one naysayer. Well, we don't have to get into it too deep. <laughs> Brockley, right? Brockley that just. Uh, well, you know, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Deej believes that Brockley actually rented a house uh, in Westport so that he spent some time here. Now, we couldn't verify that, yeah. uh, but it's possible. Because uh, lots of people love coming to Westport. What, what, what's not to like? Uh, but Matthew was the Fitzgerald scholar. And his books are still considered the gold standard of Fitzgerald scholarship. But, and so we're not saying he, he doesn't deserve that, uh, that accolade. He clearly does. Uh, but what we're saying is 
he clearly had a blind spot for Westport for whatever reason. Yeah. And Barbara, and we have her on film saying, you know, Matthew wasn't happy when my article came out. And she believes that he squelched it. And all we were able to verify, because Matthew, you know, passed away, unfortunately, in 2008. We did try to reach out to his partners. There's several of them out there. We told them what we were doing and asked them if they would like to comment. Uh, we got one of his long-lost friends to talk about him, but we couldn't get any of his partners to comment, but they did thank us for keeping them in the loop. So they were aware of what we were doing. Um, but he just had a blind spot for this. And, and, you know, look, I think what happened is he got, it's a little bit like the Lord of the Rings. He got a little too close to the ring. And at some <laughs> point he thought he was F. Scott Fitzgerald yeah. because he actually wanted to rewrite parts of Gatsby and the family, which was the board of trustees, which he was a member of, um, sued him because they said, you're not going to do that. And they settled out of court. And unfortunately, Matthew had to withdraw from what was clearly his life's work um, mm. over it. Well, that's and, pretty presumptuous. I mean, to start to say, you know, he was nitpicking. You're going to rewrite the book. Yeah, I mean, you know, nitpicking facts. I mean, like you said, it's a work of fiction. There's no facts that have to be changed. No yes. Um, but anyway, this leads, we're almost out of time. But uh, the, the next question will lead into to the, the clip you want to show is, is how did you recruit Sam Waterston? Or yeah. was that an easy sell to him? Or how did he come on board? Uh, well, I got to give credit to Deej Webb on that. He mm -hmm. had a friend. I mean, we were sitting around brainstorming one night over, you know, okay, so how do we put a little pizzazz in this? And mm -hmm. we just started brainstorming, well, how about this or how about that? Uh, and because Sam lived in Connecticut and because he played Nick Carraway in the 74 film, he was certainly high on our list as, okay, that makes sense. Uh, and we also had uh, identified Keir DeLay, who lives locally, uh, uh, who's, you know, an incomparable actor who had actually played uh, Scott in a one-person playoff Broadway in the 90s, so there was a connection mm. there too. Um, so Deej knew somebody that knew someone that could get to Sam. And so uh, Noel Parmental, who's a long-term Westport guy, very interesting man. Uh, he's like, uh, knows everybody and he's very close with Sam, lives in Westport. And he made a call on our behalf and Sam said, oh, you know, I'm, it sounds interesting. I didn't know anything about, he didn't know anything about the Fitzgeralds in Westport. He says, look, if you send a car for me, I'll come for a half hour uh, and, and that's it. But I'm happy to do that. We thought, that's great. We'll take whatever you can get. He stayed all day. Oh, yeah. He was just so fascinated. He could not, he just couldn't believe it. Then we had lunch at Longshore, took no. him all around there. Wow. It was incredible. And he couldn't have been uh, a bigger fan and supporter of us as we developed the film uh and now he's doing press for us nice uh, and he has said the most the kindest things it's like incredible uh you know i pinch myself because you know he's such an icon uh and the same thing with kira kira hadn't seen the film until a few days ago he called me on the phone and he said uh, maya and i just watched this film we can't believe how good it is i, I am so proud to be part oh. of this production and I mean, for me, that's as good as it gets. You know, yeah. guys like that are saying, you know, 
Uh, yeah. So, um, and that was before the New York article. So that was pretty exciting. So, you know, people seem to like it. It's fun. And I, you know, look, it's tough times for so many people out there. Uh, COVID's been so difficult and some people don't, you know, don't have work and it's a real struggle. People have gotten sick. Everybody knows somebody that possibly died. It's been terrible. And the news is driving everyone crazy with the protests and, you know, it's hard for everybody, regardless of whether you're a red or blue, you know, believer, it's tough for everybody. So I think what this film is doing is it gives you an escape out of the 2020 and it takes you a hundred years back. Cause we're talking literally a hundred years ago, 1920 mm-hmm. for an hour and 10 minutes, you get transported back to the twenties and it's a good break. And I think that's why people are responding well to it. Well, it's a perfect lead into the, we'll, we'll cap it off with this uh, audio. Do you want to play it from your end, uh, the audio clip? Yes. Then I wandered down to the beach and sprawled out on the sand. Most of the big shore places were closed now and there were hardly any lights except the shadowy moving glow of a ferry boat across the sound. And as the moon rose higher, the inessential houses began to melt away until gradually I became aware of the old island here that flowered once for Dutch sailors' eyes. A fresh green breast of the new world. Its vanished trees, the trees that had made way for Gatsby's house, had once pandered in whispers to the last and greatest of all human dreams. For a transitory enchanted moment, man must have held his breath in the presence of this continent, compelled into an aesthetic contemplation he neither understood nor desired face to face for the last time in history with something commensurate to his capacity for wonder. And as I sat there brooding on the old unknown world, I thought of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. He had come a long way to this blue lawn and his dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. He did not know that it was already behind him, somewhere back in that vast obscurity beyond the city where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night. Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow, we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther. So we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past.
Well, thanks, Robert. That was a, uh, a phenomenal way to end the, the movie and end, the, yeah, end the interview here. And the movie is Gatsby in Connecticut, The Untold Story. Look for it on your local platform. Not your local, your global platforms. <laughs> and um, uh, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, Mix and Trace, it was great uh, to be on your show. Thank you so much for taking the time to have us. Absolutely. 